0: For every patient that a doctor sees they'll present with something an issue that they're facing and then you have to try and work out how to address that treat uh, the patient ensure that the management plan works out and also treat them as a as a partner communicate well you meet people from all walks of life different languages different backgrounds different cultures as a doctor you've got to be dynamic adapt make sure you're supporting that patient as best as you can <laughs>
1: What does it take to be a great doctor CEO? So, with today's guest, we have Dr. Ben Matharapu, who is the founder and CEO of Sarah tell you a little bit more about Sarah. And I'm sure you may have heard of him or even listened to a number of interviews and podcasts that he's done. So we're not talking about how much he raised and the technical aspects of how he grew the business. We're talking about what does it take for him to grow a successful business? What mindset shifts did he need to make to be successful? And also we talk about hiring. What is it that these kind of companies look for in great team members Um, there's so many golden nuggets in this you absolutely don't want to miss it particularly if you're someone that's interested in health tech and someone who is a leader that wants to make an impact at scale and before we get into that don't forget to subscribe to our community at medicfootprints.org forward slash join our mission anyway on to the show so let's get real. Our value as doctors has significantly diminished over the last decade. So how can we turn that around by upskilling and creating rewarding and impactful careers on our own terms? Welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers. I'm your host, Dr. Abena Bubbers-Jones, and I'm on a mission to connect 1 million talented doctors with the best in diverse career opportunities. So welcome to this episode of Disrupting Doctors' Careers. Um, As you know, we talk about entrepreneurialism quite a lot. And today we are going to dive back into the world of health tech, And discover what is it like to be a doctor CEO so that's a chief executive officer so as you know I am one of the NHS clinical entrepreneurs and I think actually was in the first cohort and so with me today is Dr Ben Marathapu who many of you would probably have heard of already, who has a ridiculous amount of accolades, I have to say. I was looking at his LinkedIn today, which was just crazy. And we'll talk about that in this episode. But anyway, he is the CEO of Sarah, which is Europe's largest provider of digital-first home healthcare. So that involves moving services out of hospitals into people's home. Um, It's had a lot of press, it's had a lot of PR, and it's really innovating at the forefront of what we need in healthcare, bringing it back into people's homes. And that is spearheaded by Ben and obviously his amazing team. So today we're really going to get to the bottom of what is it really like to be CEO of one of the UK's fastest growing health tech companies. So welcome, Ben.
0: Hi, great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this discussion. I've been looking forward to it for a while. So Great,
1: yeah. great. Thank you. And um, I mean, we were say- I was saying just beforehand, I've listened to a number of podcasts that you featured in, and I really would love to get to the bottom of really what it takes. So increasingly, we're getting more into like, you know, you've got the technical and as doctors, we're very technical focused, but there's the mindset, which actually is a big part of the success journey um so actually let, let's go back because as I said I, I I checked out your LinkedIn this morning and I was gobsmacked <laughs> I was absolutely I mean like as doctors we we like to achieve a lot of things and we're we're, we're go-getters uh we're qualification junkies um we have a lot of accolades and I have to say, I was, I, I I knew some of this stuff, but I didn't know all of this stuff. And that's probably just what you've only put down. I just want to list a few things. Um, so as as you know, you're CEO of Sarah, which was impressive enough on its own. Um, but there are other things like your board members, senior advisor to Bain. Uh, you're the co-founder of the NHS Innovation Accelerator. Uh, you did other NHS board member things. MBE. I didn't even know that. <laughs> All right um I was ultra impressed Ex- expert advisor to who and yeah and like so many things that actually I'm like actually are you superman that that is that that was like you know you, you know we see certain people who have achieved a lot and it's like actually how how have you achieved that in your years so I'd love so my first question for you Ben is what drives you
0: I mean that's a great question I think um so w- when I've uh... I guess the reason why I became a doctor, as an example, was um, linked to um, work experience I did as a teenager in a hospital ward in a cardiology department and seeing how with just a few medications, someone who'd had a tragic event could um, go back home almost healthy and recover from their heart attack or cardiovascular event. And the reason that resonated with me a lot was because when I was younger um, my father passed away so when I was uh, 12 and he passed away from a heart attack and it was that combination of going through that as a young child but then also as a teenager seeing how you could potentially um, treat people and avoid difficult circumstances like that which gave me a really deep motivation for becoming a doctor and in the same way when I co-founded Sarah it was also because of an event that I went through with one of my parents so in this instance my mother had a fall she fractured her back she needed care at home and um, it was a really difficult experience to get a carer organized and actually my sister aunt and i ended up looking after my mom ourselves for an, for a while because we couldn't get a carer to come visit her um, for some time and that experience motivated me in turn to try and build Sarah and uh, a company that could deliver better care, better health care in the home and look after the oldest and most vulnerable uh, and give family members of those individuals some peace of mind and some connectivity as to and insight as to what was going on to their loved one through technology. So I think what drives me and what motivates me is usually being quite um, significant personal experiences that make me in turn very passionate about what I'm doing at that point. So. Mm-hmm being a doctor you know has been a huge part of my life um over the past years and in turn building Sarah has been another big part of my life and I think both of those experiences go down to quite deep uh roots um in during the years that I've grown up and beyond
1: Mm. I mean obviously that makes sense most entrepreneurs their journey start from something personal to them that they've experienced or they've seen other people experienced. Um and, and it absolutely makes sense as to to that journey for you in healthcare. Because I know at some point you had a choice, but you were working at Citibank, for example, and there was a choice between that and medicine. Like what and I, I mean I'm I'm guessing, but what was it that made you decide I'm going to go on the healthcare side rather than the banking side?
0: I think um so to answer that, let me rewind a bit. I mean, the reason I got, I interned at City um, and uh, also at a management consulting firm was because I became interest, um, increasingly interested in business. Mm. Um, and I had spent time at medical school as part of societies or even charities and seeing how they could impact more people. And I thought, okay, well, you know, what would it be like to work in business uh, and get exposure to that from a managerial perspective and so that's why i interned in those organizations um but while i realized i did want to later down the line get involved in a company or developing a company um, my major passion was healthcare that's what my heart was really in and so um when i had a, a choice of kind of staying at city and um, where the, the um the role I was going to have wasn't actually in, in healthcare. It was kind of um, across different sectors um, versus continuing my training to be a doctor, um, being able to work in a hospital. And then later on, I thought I'd be able to have the opportunity to bring healthcare into a business setting, um, depending on what may happen. I thought that was the right path for me. And so it's I continuously try to follow what I'm passionate about and and what mm-hmm. you know, on a deep level really motivates me rather than necessarily um looking at the best job opportunities how you could put it i think as when you then become an entrepreneur that's really important because entrepreneurship is tough and um you're going to have uh difficult experiences you're going to have points where you ask yourself you know why am i doing this and so on and then you've got to go back to what your first motivator was and what drives you and makes you passionate about it and so i I think if i look more generally there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there who have um some kind of mission or passion that is motivating them they went through an experience they want to right a wrong they want to provide a better service or experience for other people who've been through what they went through and that's why they do what they do um I think in entrepreneurship it's extremely important and to be honest same with practicing medicine i mean now more than ever working in the nhs is challenging right there's a huge amount of pressure uh strikes um we're going into winter now and uh we well we've come out of the pandemic where some staff and uh, colleagues in the nhs have burned out all sorts of things are going on um, and and to be able to just kind of go through those different storms or kind of surf those waves, you need to be very passionate about what you're doing. Uh, and it needs to really resonate with you on a, on a deep level. Otherwise you'll, um, it's hard to stay the course.
1: I mean, absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. And I mean, re- recently, when you when said uh, some some healthcare workers are burnt out, I'd say health and social care is burnt out <laughs> in the sense that, you know continuing that, I, I'm continuing as a occupational health physician. Uh, the other day, I spoke to a social worker who was clearly extremely passionate about what they did, but just under a remarkable amount of stress due to the demands placed of them. So they were getting more and more cases but less and uh, less and less time. Um, and, you know, at the point of, of, you know, of breaking, basically, but this person was unable to even stop or leave their job and could barely even speak at the time because they were so committed to their cause and their mission. And, and it's similar to any careers and for doctors who are changing careers. One of the things in our doctors and industry program that we really focus on at the start is what is your big why like why are you going for this sector or this sector or this career pathway like if you're not clear on that you will fall at the first hurdle regardless whether it's entrepreneur entrepreneurialism or any, any career opportunity because as you've described you know actually changing careers is hard like working in industry is hard and and life is hard right and so in order to really give yourself the best chance of success it's important to actually be clear on what your north star is um and so it's, it's great to hear that you have that clarity and you have that personal tie to, to the big why is what I describe it um but just going back a little bit because, I mean, we, we all have a lot of personal experiences that we're driven by, that we're mission led by. But I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more because, again, observationally <laughs> and going back to the LinkedIn, um, you see and And actually, I, I probably know the answer, but I'd love to hear from you because I don't like to assume a thing. I noticed that a lot of the things that you have done, you are the head of it like the president of this society or the chairman of this or the co-founder of this, um, which again is impressive. But what, again, I'm just really curious as to why in that journey, have you always been at that, that top position? Like what does that mean for you in achieving your mission?
0: Uh, I mean, that, that's a good observation. I haven't actually to that myself if I'm honest. Um, I think in a lot of instances, um. When I uh, when I become the kind of the manager or the uh, the leader, it's where I have had an idea and I've set it up. So
1: mm-hmm,
0: it, mm-hmm. It, I become the co-founder and then, you know, the manager or CEO equivalent as I am in Sarah. And that's because um, from a young age, I mean, I'd look at issues or challenges and think, OK, well, how can we approach that differently? What's the solution to that problem? How can we make it better? And I, I was always really interested in problem solving um, from a young age. And I think, um, and I like to do things a bit differently. I guess I like to go against the grain. Um, sometimes be innovative uh, where possible, be disruptive uh, to use kind of the the phrase that you mentioned earlier. And and then you have to, I, I think, if you want to come up with a new idea or a new solution to a problem and you're the only one there from the beginning, then you kind of are in charge because um, it's you. It's just you. But then you bring a team together and you try and bring them around a mission and then you give set them the direction and off we go. Uh, and so I think it's more about me usually being the person who says, well, why can't we do this? And then trying to mobilize colleagues, friends, Um, to try and get something done um, about it and uh, it's the same with Sarah right I mean I think I thought that care could be it that looks after people in their homes could be better I think I I met a number of care workers and intern social workers who were so resilient well-intentioned really wanted to go above and beyond for the people they're looking after but they were limited by the tools of the organization. The whole thing was Mm run up in paper as a sector. People Mm -hmm. think the NHS is backwards. Social care is way worse, about 20 years behind the NHS. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought there are some basic technologies, there are some basic tools here that we could introduce to make it better. And at that time, when um, I co-founded Sarah, there weren't many examples um, of technology being used in social care. Yes, there were in the NHS. In GP practices and hospitals, that was emerging, but in social care, really barely any. And so I thought, well, why don't we set something up to do something about it and to make the sector better for frontline staff and then, of course, for patients and then for family members. Um, And yeah, uh, and so having that idea or wanting to solve that challenge and that problem automatically kind of put me in a leadership position. So I think it's probably more about me being the co founder or the instigator who kicks things off Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. and
0: that's what puts me in that position rather than necessarily me wanting to be in that position because I think there's a lot of responsibility that comes with being the leader um especially as an organization gets bigger and um yeah that is a weight in itself right and uh and it's part of that yes it's it's kind of a duty and it's a way to serve but also it can be it presents its own challenges with it
1: well, thank you so much for sharing sharing that. And actually, it's it, it, again, it totally makes sense at the end of the day. um I, I was in, actually the next question I'm pausing it, the next question I was going to focus on was really talk about mindset shifts. like my question was going to be what mindset shifts do you need to take to become a CEO from being a doctor? But from what you've described, you know, your mindset, was set a long time ago as a result of your experiences and actually your mindset wasn't that of what we see as a a typical doctor so I'd I'd love to really understand for you because again I, I couldn't see any point actually in your career journey where you've just been a clinical doctor without all the other things that you had going on in the background but if we step back a bit yeah what mindset shifts have you personally had to make moving from the clinical to the CEO, even though you have had that experience, like you've been primed for that with all of the things that you've done on the way.
0: So, I mean, firstly, I'd say doctors have a lot of skills that set them up to be great entrepreneurs, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. Got to be good at communicating, you've got to be resilient and persistent and work hard. Um, You need to almost be able to diagnose an issue and solve it, which For every patient that a doctor sees, they'll present with something, an issue that they're facing, and then you have to try and work out how to address that, treat uh, the patient, ensure that the management plan works out, and also treat them as a a partner, communicate well. You meet people from all walks of life, different languages, different backgrounds, different cultures. As a doctor, you've got to be dynamic, adapt, make sure you're supporting that patient as best as you can. All of those skills come in as and are very valuable as an entrepreneur or every single one of the ones I just mentioned mm-hmm. I think and you know doctors also are lots of them tend to do kind of research or kind of audits always trying to think about how do we do things better how do we approach it differently um, and so I think that sets doctors up incredibly well to be strong entrepreneurs I think for me the biggest changes to your question that I had to go through from being a clinician to being an entrepreneur was firstly, um, as a doctor, it was a lot more about what I can do for the patient. What I can do for the patient who's sitting opposite the table from me, um, uh, who's come in for their appointment or who I'm seeing on a hospital ward round. Whereas when when you start building an organization, you have much more of a leadership role. And that I think is about Having a culture, setting the right values for that organization, and making sure people have the right ecosystem to really thrive. I'm not the person who's delivering care to the people that Sarah's serving. I need to set up the right conditions so that our carers, nurses, our frontline staff can do a great job of looking after people. And I have to help them help our patients. Uh, and so you're one step removed. Uh, and you need, and that requires a different mindset. Um, and sometimes, as uh, with a as a doctor, you want to kind of dive in and be like, "Well, maybe I need to make that change. Maybe I need to be the one who does it." In the same way that, you know, maybe uh, if you haven't got the blood test results, you'll call up biochemistry and try and get the results right. Um, or if radiology is being a bit slow, you think, "You know, do you mind doing this ultrasound a bit faster?" You'll step in, but you can't always do that. In an organization with lots lots of people um you have to empower those people to go further so Mm -hmm. i think that's a shift from um the actions being about you to the actions being about other people and you supporting them in getting stuff done and being successful i think another big change was um and it's linked to the point i just mentioned is organizations companies their success it's down to the people even if it's a technology company, it is really down to the talent and the people. Um, and I think the one of the best things a good founder can do or a good CEO is ensuring that they hire great people. And so uh, before I had worked at Sarah, I had never hired anyone for a full time job. Um, I'd never gone through that that process, um, and then had to to manage them, make sure they're set up for success in their first few months, and so on. And it, it, that's been a big learning experience for me. Talent, recruitment, and management, um, I think, is a huge part of a leader or CEO or founder's role. Um, and it's not just them. I mean, everyone in a startup or scale-up will be hiring at some point or another. And hiring well, it's a critical skill. It's crucial. And that's something I had to learn on the job, right? Because I hadn't. I just hadn't done that before. Um, and as a but then again, as a doctor, you've got to be a good communicator, you have to be able to get on with people, it sets you up well for being able to transition. But it was just it was a new muscle that um, I had to develop. Uh, and because again, as a clinician, you are even more so more likely to be someone who yes, you're great at maybe liaising with people understanding healthcare, but you may not be good at reading a PL or some accounts. A financial point of view you may not necessarily be good at writing code if it's a technology-based company um and you need people who can work with you to do that and that's why hiring becomes even more important surrounding yourself with talented people who so that to collectively as a team you can um, fulfill your company's mission you can uh, deliver against your deliverables that um that's only possible if you've got a great team, and I think as a doctor, um, that, that's a skill too, and that's a transition to really develop and focus on.
1: 100% agree, I think talent hiring, workplace health it's one of my real passions in life. Um, particularly, I mean, recently I went to uh New York to the LinkedIn. Uh, Talent Connect Summit. Two thousand talent leaders from some of the biggest brands in the world together under the same massive, uh, hanger type roof. Um, but no, I, no, I absolutely, I absolutely, hundred percent agree with you. And I've seen that time and time again, uh, even with my own team. Um, but I'd, I'd love to hear from you because, like, for example. LinkedIn at the moment, they're very hot on hashtag skills first hiring, right? That's their thing. But pretty much every hiring manager, every founder, everyone I've spoken to, particularly in the health tech space, are like, forget skills. It's less about that. It's actually more about finding someone or finding a team member who's curious, who's motivated, who's driven by our mission, as you've indicated before. So I'd love to hear from you. As to what what are the key things that you look for in a new team member, as as you're growing the company, is it the and this is particularly for doctors who are like is it the MBA, is it the qualifications, or is there something else that's actually more valuable to an organisation like yours?
0: And um, so I, I'll just start off. It's not the qualifications, and um, I'll just say that straight away. It's it. <laughs> um, I think. What we and what I've looked for ha, has changed over the years as mm. the company has gone through different phases. So in the earlier stages, having people who were really willing to roll up their sleeves and um, smart, dynamic, hardworking, that was what was most important. Right. Uh, and then but as Sarah has evolved and we've become bigger, finding people with certain specialisms has become more important. Right? Like We need a specific mm-hmm. type of software engineer or uh, data scientists, or we need someone with specific experiences when it comes to marketing and branding or partnerships. So that specialism has become more important. For me, though, outside of their broader experience, which determines which role they may fit best into, I tend to look for um, what, as per your first question, what motivates them? What are they passionate about? Sarah is a very mission-focused company. And, you know, if if they're just focused, if they are, there's certain passions, which may mean that you're probably better off in a fintech business, right, Um, rather than a health tech business. I think you've got to being motivated about making an impact, I think, is is a crucial part of the DNA um, of someone who joins Sarah and someone who joins a health tech company. And so the, the why and what motivates, what they're passionate about, for me, regardless of the role, and also regardless of the stage that Sarah's been at, has been top of my list, Then actually um, asking people about challenges that they've been through, right? When hasn't it worked out? Uh, When have you failed? And not like a kind of, oh, you know, this happened, but then everything worked out, hunky-dory, and was really good, but a genuine setback or failure, and how did you, you deal with that as a person? And I say that because... When you're building a company um or you're trying to do something different you're going to fail pretty much every day every week so how you respond to that whether you bounce back whether you pick yourself back up or whether you you don't that i think is an important determinant so whether you're going to succeed in a startup and scale-up environment so i tend to really ask people about experiences that they've been through that haven't worked out what they learned from it and how they responded to it that's probably the second big area that um, I zoom in on. Um, I think when it comes to hiring and looking for talent, mm. it's, it's definitely not, I mean, I've met people with MBAs who are great, um, but the MBAs are not what makes them great. And um, I've met people with MBAs who just are not necessarily a right fit for organi- our organization as well. So it's, it's less about that. It's more about the actual person.
1: Absolutely. And and that that actually, that actually presents a challenge in itself. Because how do you assess for that, especially at the first stage where you advertise a job, uh, you get hundreds of applications, and most of them are kind of technically focused or skills focused. How how do you get behind that and beneath that on paper? I how think, does that work for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not easy. You're absolutely right. And mm. it normally, it's when I meet people that I can start asking these questions and really think exactly. with it. I think before that, it's, it's more difficult. But then you can look at, you know, what types of organisations has a person worked at before? And sometimes I'll, I'll recognise them. And uh, one example is we, we hired someone senior at Deliveroo to Sarah. Mm-hmm. And he, he was at Deliveroo for several years. Deliveroo is not an easy place to work at, um, mm-hmm. let me tell you, because they've gone through their own twists and turns. Um, it's quite an intense culture and yeah, there are lots of people who've gone in and out of that organization. And so just off the back of it, I kind of know if someone spent a number of years there. They probably pretty resilient and um, must have really given it a lot of effort. I mean, to use a kind of much more extreme but mixed example, I mean, Babylon Health has been through you know, a, a um, very difficult journey recently. And, um, you know, it's quite well publicized in that regard but i know people who worked there for a number of years and then they went on to do other things and it wasn't an easy environment for them to work in but the fact that they tried uh, and kept at it for a period shows that they must have been pretty persistent pretty resilient to um to do that and to stick at it even more recently where Babylon went through a lot of financial difficulty and now has been bought by uh, a u.s company and um, some people have went through that journey and when they knew that that company was going through difficulty they didn't just throw in the talent i'm um, jumping ship mm-hmm. they kind of kept at it right i know some of the senior people in that company who were trying to keep it steady um mm-hmm. n- not the founder but people who are kind of in the uk and uh, involved mm-hmm. in the nhs uh work that Babylon does they were trying to keep it steady and um, despite the fact that they knew uh, lots of things were going in the wrong direction that and they did that because they wanted to be there for the patients right they said and also for some of the clinicians who were delivering gp um, services to mm-hmm. patients as part of gp at hand and they kept going because they felt um that kind of duty to the people that were being uh, seen and treated the patients but also to frontline staff that's you know th- that shows a lot about that individual there's a lot one could say about Babylon as an organization, but for individuals who did that, it says a lot. It speaks about their character. It speaks about um, their uh, their loyalty as well to their their frontline colleagues, to their patients. Um, and it's hard to kind of place a, a let's say a, a pound figure on that, right? It stands for a lot more. Mm-hmm,
1: uh, mm-hmm. And
0: you know, I that I you know you can see when someone applies with their CV. Okay, you know this person may have been through a lot. But they stuck at it. And I think that's that's a positive thing.
1: Mm. No, and no, I I totally hear you and I totally agree. Um it's interesting. I mean, particularly in healthcare in general, most people in healthcare are not doing it for the money or for the power or for the kudos. You know, they're doing it because they generally want to make an impact and and serve patients and and help improve people's lives, right? So generally speaking, I'd say most people in healthcare, regardless of whether they're clinicians or not like you you would comparatively said compared to fintech would see a maybe higher level of loyalty than, say, you might do in other sectors. But going back to your point about one of the ways you assess is looking at previous work history, Um, considering this podcast is about doctors, a lot of whom are jumping ship or diversifying their portfolio careers. how do you assess for those hidden gems that may not w- have worked for those deliveries or Babylon health? Like what other ways are there to really assess again at the earlier stages of that pathway to say, to, to demonstrate that they are the motivated ones rather than the ones that are, are changing careers for the push factors.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, So I think people who have, um, Yeah, if they're applying to a health tech company that's focused on diabetes, and they've, let's say, done some research that shows they're really passionate about that in the past, or they've worked in endocrinology, or Mm -hmm. they've tried to make an effort to get exposure to working in a startup before, that's all really positive. I think the other piece I'd mention is, I mean, I do interview a lot of people, right? I mean, I spend a lot of my time meeting and interviewing because of the very reason that you've said, which is that what's on paper is not always what you see in front of you right and I really love giving people um, a chance who um maybe they haven't been able to focus on their their different their kind of career achievements or their experience placements as much for whatever reasons um but they're very motivated and they want a shot I kind of um I actively look out for those people and so it's in those instances it could just be someone who's sent me an email Mm. and says hey i've looked at what you're doing i'd kind of love to spend a day in the office learn a bit more um and they're kind of persistent in chasing that down right i mean they kind of follow up a lot and that is nothing to do with their cv it's more that they are really making an effort and trying to be um push themselves and open doors to get an opportunity uh, i think that also makes a big, a big difference regardless of what your previous experiences are what hospitals you may or may not have worked at
1: yeah no i i I totally agree because it is those ones that are resilient persistent and because they're the ones that stay top of mind right and you really want to help those people don't you like you genuinely want to help them get ahead because you can see that the genuine passion for what you're doing um, so I think those are all really great points. And these are things that we advise our community and our fellows again and again, because, you know, the mindset of doctors is like, I don't want to bother anyone. I don't want to be spamming anyone. I don't want to put myself out there because then they'll get upset. Like that, that is the mindset that we like as doctors traditionally have, but in industry, in the wider world, like that is what gets you the job, <laughs> right? That is what open doors. Um, It's like having the, the patient that, you know, the annoying patient, I put in inverted commas, who is always calling up, who is always making a fuss. Like they do stay top of mind. So actually they are more likely to get what they need. Um so, so yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. Um so so the last the last part of this this is talking about influencing healthcare, making an impact globally on a broader scale. Um I, I guess we touched upon this about, but but let's clarify a little bit more about what does making an impact mean for you? Like what does that look like? What does that how do you know that you've been successful in in what drives you in your mission? And how does that compare to what you could have achieved as a clinician?
0: I think, I mean, for me, and this, is, this has changed over the years a lot, but I think right now, how do I know that I'm making an impact? In the context of Sarah, it's on the one hand kind of more anecdotal, subjective. Yes. It's what people are saying. It's that person who writes um, kind of a letter and just to say, we really appreciate we really appreciate the care that our loved one received in their last few months. Um, and the carer who was looking after them was by their side every step of the way. And it meant such an important difference for our family. Reading that, it doesn't matter what the numbers are or the scale is, just reading that one letter, uh, I find it you know, that makes the hard work all worth it. Right. And what we're trying to do. And in the same way, it's not just patients and their families, it's our staff, right? Having a nurse who says, um, Ben, I love using our technology. Um, it's kind of reignited my motivation for being a nurse and for for seeing patients after many years of kind of being a bit worn down by the system. And that makes a big difference, right? So there's the anecdotal, There's it's the stories, it's, it's the narratives that people will give day in, day out. And then outside of that, it is... Um, Looking at there are certain almost metrics that we use and measure at Sarah um, that are important to us, such as based based on the work we do. And some of that could be satisfaction scores from our staff, from our patients, um, but also actual health outcomes about people going to hospitalise and being hospitalised or the number of falls that individuals are looking after. Because at Sarah, we tend to look after very old, vulnerable people where the number one reason they end up in hospital is they've had a fall. So every fall that we can prevent potentially is a fractured hip that's been avoided, is a hugely tragic event that's been avoided um, for that individual so that they can continue living independently. And so there are kind of metrics as well that we use and that I use to track the impact that we're having on the people we are serving and responsible for. And it's that combination of the individual and the story and the experience that they have and how we're trying to change their lives with our mission, but also kind of the trying to track that scale, which usually involves some form of, of metric. That's how I kind of look at impact.
1: Absolutely. It's the stories combined with the metrics. And I, I'm 100 percent driven by the stories and the feedback that. You know, a lot of the times you don't even solicit it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And, and but it's, it's even better that way where people genuinely, like they reach out to you and say generally, like as a result of what you're doing, I'm now able to do this. Um, I, I got my life back. I was able to look after my family from Medic Footprints perspective. Um, I I took the leap and now I'm the founder of this company. I managed to, you know, it's, it's, it's those stories that keep me going. Um, because as you've described as you know having a big why is important and it's a really really challenging journey Um, so my my absolute last question like as an entrepreneur as a CEO as you 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 alluded to earlier you know it is quite a a, there's a lot of heavy lifting going on right especially with the growing business especially um, with a with a growing family too would you say are there any sacrifices that you've had to make in order to sustain you, your life, your business? Like, what do you think on this journey?
0: I mean, I think that I've had to more in the early years of Sarah than now, I had to work probably much harder than I did before. And I thought I was pretty hardworking, but um, when I, uh, in the first couple of years, of Sarah, where we had to really get it up from zero to something, um, mm-hmm. that took, that was a big lift. And, um, yeah, that meant spending less time with friends and family who are extremely important to me, um, with my partner. Uh, it just, so those were sacrifices that I made since then. I've tried to put in place measures, processes, a team that means I don't have to be doing so much for the lifting myself. Uh, And now that I have, you know, a four-month-old son, it's more important than ever before because I don't want to miss any of those moments, right? It's so precious. Um, uh, And uh, family time is so precious. Maintaining my health, really important. Um, And so I try and be much more balanced than I used to be. And it's just like, you know, telling the team, okay, well, I'm available during these times. If it's an emergency outside of that, fine. But really, apart from that, Mm -hmm. uh, politely, I don't want to hear from you. Um, uh, Just in terms (laughs) of... Uh, you know, how I like meetings and kind of even mm. I used to travel a lot more abroad now I do it less things like that just ensuring that I put um, guardrails so mm. that yes I can work well but that is not coming at a compromise to my personal well-being my family health um, me being a holistic person uh, it, how I'm trying being there for my friends as well or or relatives if they're going through tough times I try and make sure that it doesn't get in the way of that it did in the earlier years but now I've having learned from that tried to prevent it from happening again Mm.
1: do you feel again this is more for doctors or entrepreneurs who are who are going through those early stages do you feel that had you put in those guardrails earlier, that you still would have achieved the same outcomes, or do you feel like actually that was a necessity? Like, it, it couldn't have it couldn't have grown as quickly as it did without that. If you may, If you understand what I mean,
0: I think that the first steps of building a company are tough, mm. right? I mean, I think if you talk to anyone who's trying to set up a business, or you read books about. Um, famous entrepreneurs who now are kind of probably chilling on a beach or whatever, um, they had to kind of go through difficult times um, as well. I think I could have been smarter though about how I used my time and also if I, I feel if I had a, the right and perhaps a stronger team around me earlier on, to my point around hiring well and being really sharp on talent, um, that also could have allowed me to have a more balanced life. In the earlier years of, of sarah and um, and so that's why i i think a, one of the two big transitions i mentioned if you go from a clinician to an entrepreneur and a leader is how do you think about people how do you think about talent the earlier you bring the right talent around you the easier all this becomes the more balanced you can be um and uh, or even just having a support network people who advise you or give you the right mentorship they don't need to be actual team members they mm-hmm, can- mm-hmm. Um, but the faster you get that set up earlier on, that means, that means you are in turn set up for being more successful not just at a in a work capacity, but also in a personal capacity as well. And so it took me you know lots of up and downs to figure that out. and I'm still learning now, but um, I think I could have been better at it and, and smarter at it earlier.
1: I think these are great reflections and I think the reality is with most entrepreneurs, like, you know, as you said, we we do a lot of failing and that never stops. And so like this is part of the learning process, right? Um, But your reflections are are definitely really invaluable uh, nuggets of advice for, Um, doctors or anyone who is setting up a business and growing it but anyway thank you so so much for opening up the vault of your mind Ben for our community of doctors greatly greatly appreciated and uh, enjoy daddyhood (laughs) welcome to the chaos
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes indeed thank you and great to be here
1: thanks take care